this is not a Christmas movie. You're right. <laughs> this is a Frankenstein in suburbia story. Hey. You eked this in here on a technicality. I eked this in here. And it's not even that strong of a technicality. Christmas horror? No. <laughs> Horrific at Christmas? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's in that same bracket with Die Hard. Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where we blend and blend and blend. Blending is the secret. I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week we are talking about the 1990 gothic romance, Edward Scissorhands. Hi, Tim. Uh, Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming. Before we get started, don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at kickingandstreamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet while supplies last. We want everyone (laughs) to come and join our little holiday spooky watch party. And guys, by the time you hear this, we're like already halfway through Lord of the Rings coverage on the Patreon. Guys, you have to go over to the Patreon. It is all glitzed up for you over there. We're doing long form. We're doing Tolkien. We're doing Lord of the Rings. You're getting full coverages of all three films for just $5 a month. That's a lot of content at a very, might I say again, very low price. (laughs) Not to mention all of the bonus content you get our television coverages our shooting the shit our pointless uh, trivia games we're playing with each other <laughs> it's all great content all available to you the minute you sign up and for access to our full catalog of main feed goodness you can go on over to our podbean page or our apple podcast page or our spotify page yeah you can get a custom rss link at podbean and listen in any player of your choosing change for you, right, Ed? Those things are cool. Can I bring show and tell on Monday? He's a highly imaginative character. It seems clear that his awareness of what we call reality is radically underdeveloped. Eddie, you take my very breath away. Do you have a girlfriend? (laughs) Is there some special lady in your life? Skewered kid. Just a scratch. The power of Satan is in him. I can feel it. All along, I felt in my gut there was something wrong with him. 
From Tim Burton comes the most incredible tale of a most unusual character. Edward Scissorhands. Hold me. This movie is, it's kind of core. It's not exactly core, but it is very core, you know? Uh-huh. I mean, I have not seen this film in quite some time. Yeah. And I cried. You did? Oh, I did. I did. Aw, right. It's the, it's the isolation and the trying to fit in and the not working out. I know. You know, it's Tim. This is, you know, two years after Beetlejuice. Yeah. So, you know, he'd already really established himself, right? Like, Absolutely. So he's getting going. He is making a name for himself and also Johnny Depp. Yeah. Oh. We'll talk about it. Tim Burton. He's been with us on Main Feed before, guys. He was just with us back in October when we covered Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. We also did... Big Fish. We also did Corpse Bride. We also did Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm -hmm. That was like season one of Kicking and Streaming. Carrie is hair on fire for the Batman, the Tim Burton Batman. I can't wait to cover the Batmans. Alice in Wonderland, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And guys, I'm sorry, he was also with us one other time when we covered The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Oh, I forgot! Yeah, that's right. How could I possibly forget? But we do love us a Tim Burton Weird little goth boy that he is. <laughs> his films are just all of us stepping into his high school sketchbook. And also, you know, not many people have ever had the honor of being married to um, Helena Bonham Carter. So Were they actually married? You know what? <laughs> we bring this up every time. I feel like <laughs> we do this were, every time. You're right. They were not married. They were domestic partners. They were effectively married for 13 years. Yeah. So they have children together. And, you know, Helena Bonham Carter is famous for commenting upon the fact that her boyfriend is constantly putting her in films to be in love with his best friend, Johnny, Johnny Depp. Depp. Yeah. <laughs> what a strange dynamic. How could you not? This film made $66 million. Hmm, very tidy. Very tidy. Um, it was released at Christmas time. It was. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I know. I'm not going to be a bear about that. Uh, written by Caroline Thompson. Yeah. Caroline Thompson also wrote the screenplays for Corpse Bride and The Nightmare Before Christmas. So ah. hi, Ca- hi, Caroline. Welcome back. All the tenderness in this movie is 100% her doing. She wrote the... She directed Black Beauty. Hey! From 1994. How did Black Beauty come up two weeks in a row? Did it come up last week? It did, because the dad was in Black Beauty. That's right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, guys, today's narrative deals with the story of an isolated hybrid man who is taken down from a lonely mountain to live in society by your local Avon representative. <laughs> this film is set in the year 1960, 70, 85. Yeah, no, the aesthetic <laughs> is all over the place. Those three decades are very prevalent. In this narrative, the production design, the production designer is Bo Welch. I love Bo Welch as a production designer. He also did the production design for How the Grinch Stole Christmas, hey. Jim Carrey, and also did, or well, 
Ron Howard, really, you know? Yeah. And he also did the production design for Cat in the Hat. <laughs> Another Ron Howard and Brian Grazer vehicle. I just know that Cat in the Hat is coming next year. You're going to make me do it. You're going to do it for birthday month or something. I don't know what this make me do it shit is. <laughs> like, oh my God, I've got you in spring. I've got you by the balls. I know what my ask is going to be in springtime. <laughs> And it will be Cat in the Hat, and you will deal with it, and you will laugh in all the right places, and cringe in all the right places, and we'll clean up that mess together. Okay. Okay? All right. (laughs) Danny Elfman. Of course, you know he's the composer of this score. You know how I love me a film score. Uh, very, It's because of the music in this film that I am so endeared to it because it's the music that I remember most from well, this film. Yeah. Ice Dance is used in several different films because it was that popular amongst filmmakers after this came out. Not just films, but film trailers. Like, that that gets used over and over again in promoting other films. Big Fish. Yeah. That Ice Dance is the soundtrack to that trailer. Like, that's not surprising, but it just, it's such a beautiful yet haunting piece of music. It's that, the Ice Dance is used in The Secret Garden. Is it? Which we covered on this podcast. I don't remember that. It's used in The Master of Disguise, which we covered on this podcast. (laughs) It's used in Lemony Snicket's A Serious Unfortunate (laughs) Event, which we covered on this podcast. I remember none of this. It's also in The Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh my good lord. I know. Like, he just... Danny Elfman (laughs) is, is up there with some of the greatest composers of all time. In my opinion. He's evocative. I, I love me some John Williams. I love me some James Newton Howard. I love me some Howard Shore. I'm a Shore whore. I love me some Danny Elfman. Most recognizable television theme of all time. <laughs> Danny Elfman. Filming this, guys, believe it or not, Florida. <laughs> no way. This was filmed in the Tampa Bay area. <laughs> they paid so many people. That lived in this housing edition, this housing development. It's a they did to me when you look at this housing development that is the setting of this film narrative. You look at it and you go, "There's they built all these empty houses, right?" Yeah. And no, it's an actual housing development in the Tampa Bay area, and just paid everybody to paint their houses. Yep. To look like a roll of Necco wafers. Yep. Oh my god. Exactly. And the facade of the castle. Was actually built out there too. You know. Yes, yes. That's and not a mini? No, it's not. Well, there is a miniature. Remember, there is a miniature <laughs> that is quite artfully used in the film. But no, it's it's all real. Holy shit. They built that whole house set, that whole castle set out in the middle of whatever. <laughs> out in the middle of Florida. Yeah, like <laughs> Florida. I won't thank you for anything, <laughs> but thank you for Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> We've got a figure in this production team. His name is Stan Winston. Yes. And he is the designer of the prosthetic makeup that is the scissor hands. Yeah. And believe it or not, it only took them two hours to make up Johnny Depp completely. Wow, that seems short. It doesn't it, though? <laughs> yeah. This seems like a five-hour job. But, yeah. like, no, two hours... Also, the incorporation of all of the topiary art that we have in this film. The topiary pieces, believe it or not, 
shaped chicken wire in which they have implant. It's like Chia Pet chicken wire statues. <laughs> yeah. Is what it is. The idea of art director Rick Heinrich. And folks, you might have guessed it. <sighs> but we've got names. Holy cannoli. As our titular character, we have Johnny Depp. <laughs> yes, we do. Please, please accept him back to kicking and streaming. Um, you really don't have a choice. He's been with us several times, most recently as Sweeney Todd in Sweeney Todd the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. He was with us earlier in the year when we covered uh, What's Eating Gilbert Grape as Gilbert Grape. He's a lot of title characters, guys. Yeah. Um, he was with us when we covered Sleepy Hollow because he's Ichabod Crane and Victor Van Dort. He's the voice of Victor Van Dort in the Nightmare in Corpse Bride. You can keep that in if you want. <laughs> Not the Nightmare Before Christmas. They are very similar films. Portraying Kim Boggs, we have... Winona Ryder, please welcome her back to Kicking and Streaming. She was with us when we covered Mermaids. That's right. With Cher and Christiana Ricci. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, guys. She was with us when we did Girl Interrupted. Oh! She's Susanna oh, Kaysen in Girl I, Interrupted. I block that movie out. It's okay. It's a lot. It's a lot. Uh, yeah, it sure is. Guys, she's fucking Lydia Dietz from Beetlejuice. <laughs> guys, she's Joyce Byers from Stranger Things. <laughs> what happened to my magnets? <laughs> What's wrong with my magnets? <laughs> Little Women, How to Make an American Quilt. She's in that fucking Dracula movie from 1994. Which, believe me, that's coming too. She's kind of bad in it. Uh, yeah. You the, know, the, like. Not her best effort. I, the, I love Winona Ryder. She gives beautiful performances. Not all of them. <laughs> I love her in Black Swan. Yeah. Which, also, 2024. <laughs> on main feed. Yeah. Look out for it. It's <laughs> when you get too high and think you've killed me, Lagunas. <laughs> oh, no. Um. Portraying Peg Boggs, your local your local Avon representative. <laughs> we have Diane Weiss. Please welcome her back to Kicking and Streaming. She was with us when we covered The Birdcage. Which she- that's a great episode, Carrie. <laughs> you did a great job on The Birdcage. I it's one of the episodes I go back to most. <laughs> Cause we did that correctly. It was so much fun, just like the movie is. Um, guys, I always mention Radio Days yep. when we talk about Diane Weist. I just, I just love her. I love her as an actress. I think her performance in this movie is part of what carries it. Oh yeah, like she. It's the earnestness. She. It is the earnestness. Like you want her to be your mom. Yeah. You know, she's mm-hmm. so sweet, and she does this character. She does Peg such justice. If there were ever a live action King of the Hill, yeah, I feel like Diane Weist. <laughs> Could be a great candidate. You know, 80s, 90s Diane Weist could have been a great candidate for Peggy Hill. (laughs) Bullets over Broadway, Road to Avalia. She's also got an arc on Law & Order SVU. Does she now? As the DA. Can never keep that out. Um, (laughs) Portraying Bill Boggs. We have Alan Arkin. Please welcome him back to Kicking and Streaming. He was with us when we covered Little Miss Sunshine. R.I.P. Alan mm. Arkin. He just passed away this year. He, oh, really? He passed away in, in at the end of June this year. Do, don't you remember that? I don't remember that, no. But... It's okay. Guys, he's been in a lot of things since the 60s. <laughs> I personally love him in 2008's Get Smart. Yeah. With Steve Carell and Anne Hathaway. Poor Anne Hathaway. <laughs> <laughs> no one wanted to be making that movie. 
It's something they greenlit and then they wish to God they could have taken it back. Oh, he was in Argo and the Pentagon Papers, the Kaminsky Method. The Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. No way. Yeah. Oh, man. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Uh, he's, he's been in a lot of things. As Kevin Boggs, we've got Robert Oliveri. He is notable because he is Nick Szyslinski from the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids franchise. Wait. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and in Honey, I Blew Up the Kids, and Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. And... <laughs> Talk about a franchise that went on for too long. I wonder why he wasn't in Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. Well, because that's mostly about the adults, but... I mean, whatever. (laughs) Okay. Portraying Jim. (laughs) We have Anthony Michael Hall. You will know him because he's Brian Johnson from The Breakfast Club. He's the nerd. I will be plugging this again. For the fourth year in a row, uh-huh. we need our Brat Pack Month. We do. I want to do Breakfast Club, Say No Most Fire, dare I say it, War Games. <laughs> Portraying Joyce Monroe. Oh, no. Yeah, that oversexed nosy neighbor. We have Kathy Baker. Please welcome her back to Kicking and Streaming. No way! Because she, she's Bev Rink in 13 Going on 30. She's her mom. Oh, my God. You'll know her from 1983's The Right Stuff. Yeah. With Tom Cruise, where if you pause it just right, you can see his dick. Okay. I'm just saying. <laughs> Jackknife, Cold Mountain, Jane Austen Book Club. Oh, she's in Saving Mr. Banks. Oh, that's sweet. Another movie I love. I think she's Walt Disney's secretary in that movie. Okay. Guys, portraying the inventor. Why did I say it like that? <laughs> Portraying the inventor, we have Vincent Price. I know this was a tip for Tim Burton. I know if if anybody worshipped Vincent Price, it was definitely Tim Burton. Get of the century. Are you kidding me? Like, he was... I don't remember when Vincent Price died, but... In 1993, three years after this? Yeah, he was at the end of his life. Like, this might be his final film appearance. I think the thing you and I most know Vincent Price for... Well, two things, actually. Here it comes. Number one is... House on Haunted Hill. Yes. Of course, guys, he is very famously, he has a sample in Michael Jackson's Thriller. <laughs> Play a little bit of it for me, will you? The foulness stenches in the air, the funk of 40,000 years, and grisly goons from every tomb are closing to seal your doom. And though you fight to stay alive, your body starts to shiver, for no mortal can resist the evil of the foreigner. Vincent Price, just his entire career, he was paid to be creepy, and he did it fabulously every single time. House of Wax. House Um, of Wax? From 19, the original House of Wax from 1953. Oh. And Carrie, I remember the 2005 version of House of Wax. Yeah. I remember how into that fucking movie you were. I was. And how disturbed it made me at the tender age of eight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Last Man on Earth from 1964. The Pit and the Pendulum. 
Oh, House of Usher, yep. The Haunted Palace, uh. The Mask of the Red Death. Stop, stop. <laughs> I can't breathe. And of course, Carrie, Carrie loves this. He is the voice of Professor Radigan in The Great Mouse Detective. <laughs> to Radigan, to Radigan. What did you call me? <laughs> ah. uh, we love you, Vincent Price, and we're glad Tim got you for this. So, guys... Like many gothic tales, this has a bookending feature to the narrative. It's been 84 years. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Sorry, Titanic's not gothic, but like... No, we open with an elderly Kim. We don't know that yet. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Fine. I think we're... Ruin it for him, ruin it for him. I think we're smart enough to understand that this is Winona Ryder in old age makeup. Sure, and she... Carrie? Winona Ryder? Portraying the greatest 80-something-year-old as a 20-something-year-old you've ever seen in your life. The makeup's excellent. The accent? Yeah. Snuggle in, sweetie. It's cold out there. (laughs) Kim is telling her granddaughter about the origin of snow. Why is it snowing, Grandma? Where does it come from? Oh, that's a long story, sweetheart. I want to hear. Oh, not tonight. Go to sleep. Sleepy. Tell me, please. Well, all right. So, guys, a long, long time ago, maybe 84 years ago. (laughs) Maybe. Who knows how much time has passed in this weird Floridian time warp. (laughs) An inventor lived on top of the hill that's just outside this housing addition, and he made all kinds of things. He made machines that like like Rube Goldberg type stuff where like we're making breakfast completely automated that kind of thing like flubber yeah kind of like flubber <laughs> and then one day the inventor decided that he wanted to build a man and the unfortunate thing about this is that the inventor died before he could complete the man. And we're going to learn as we go along about why the hands are scissors. Yeah. Because that's weird, you know. But The thing is, for me, why on God's green earth would you bring him to life without finishing him first? Okay, blame him for dying. All right. like but Ross, like... Even Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein, knew that he should not bring his creature to life before the creature was finished. Like, that is just setting yourself up for some energy where the thing comes to life and it goes, kill me! Kill me! I'm in so much pain! (laughs) Exactly! Yeah, yeah. And so we flash all the way back to that vague three-decade time period it's you mentioned. It's 1968-70-85. <laughs> yeah. And we are in suburbia. Yep, 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 yep. All these pastel houses, these perfectly manicured lawns, are definitely tended to by husbands who are not present, who are attended to by wives who are busy bodies. There are, there are several moods of wife in this neighborhood, yeah. and they all belong to a decade. And I feel like one Peg Boggs, your own local Avon representative, is very much giving the 60s that literal Jackie Kennedy look she's got on in the beginning with the pink and the pillbox hat Mm -hmm. and her yellow car, you know, walking up to Helen's house to give her her first Avon calling. She's the definition of earnest because even though she has to sell to her friends and neighbors, she always does the full spiel with maximum enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. Today I've come to show you our exquisite new line of softer colors in shadows, blushes, and lipstick. Everything you need to accent and highlight your changing look. 
My changing look. That's good. <laughs> well, it goes without saying that I also have a complete selection of your old favorites, those tried-and-true products we've all come to depend on year in and year out. Come on, Peg. I never buy anything from you. You know that. I know. Bye. Bye, Helen. I'm sorry, Peg. You're just really trying to make some extra scratch for the family. You defeat behind her eyes. I know. Goodbye, Helen. <laughs> when we pan, because, like, I feel like Helen, I don't know. I feel like she's got, I feel like Helen is the 90s. Uh -huh. I even though the 90s had just started, yeah. I feel like she's giving that that overweight 90s mom vibe. <laughs> Roseanne vibe. Yeah! <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> or maybe late '80s, but we've got an we flash over to an early '80s woman, don't we? Oh Christ on sale! Because what we have in Joyce Monroe is a whole lot of mess. Uh, there's so many reasons not to like Joyce. Well, she's a predator. That is the number one reason. Do you know what I mean? Like that's oh, of course that might seem a little harsh to you listeners, but like especially I'm, if you haven't seen this. I'm sorry, but like. We'll talk more about it because when she's oh, she's always got a cigarette that's three times the length of a normal cigarette. <laughs> she's got the she's got the repair man over right because she wants to fuck him because she knows how to empty her food trap in her dishwasher <laughs> and he shows her exactly how to do it. See, didn't even need to call me. <laughs> and then Peg interrupts the service call by ringing the doorbell. Good morning, Joyce. Avon calling. Why, Peg? Have you gone blind? Can't you see there's a vehicle in my driveway? Oh. Yes. Well, I'm surprised you don't realize that means I'm busy. <laughs> the look on Peg's face. Like, <laughs> why did I even try? Why did I even knock on this door? You know, she gets back in her car. She writes, she scribbles something down furiously in her book and tosses it aside. And She's so frustrated. She makes one mistake, and it was adjusting her rearview mirror. <laughs> Because what does she see in that mirror, Carrie? The inexplicably huge hill that is just outside this housing addition with a very spooky gothic mansion sitting on the top of it. It is neither subtle nor conspicuous. Like, it's like this is the first time she's noticing that it's there. I'm sorry. You didn't like go out every day of your life and see that thing sitting there? Like, It's not like... You know what? I misspoke. It's not even that it's outside. The entrance to this property is at the end of a cul-de-sac. How does this place not already have a seedy reputation? She is not questioning for one second that it might be dangerous for her to go up there on her own? You're telling me we haven't had one family dinner <laughs> where not one person has gone, Hey, does anybody ever wonder about that castle up on that hill? <laughs> And so she goes up there thinking she's going to find some spooky lady of the house to sell some foundation to. It's giving no self-awareness. <laughs> like, yeah. she slips through that gate. Carrie, isn't it just a wonderful sight? The topiary garden. Oh, with the music. Oh, it's so She's wandering all around. The giant hand. Oh, the hand always gets me. Yeah. Uh -huh. And then, like, the the gigantic stag. Yeah. And the snake. And the dinosaurs, like. This is some beautiful agricultural work here. And, like, this is the beginning of the harsh contrast between the spooky and the beautiful. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's the entire motif. Seeing the beauty in the spooky and seeing the spooky in the beautiful. 
That's beautiful, Carrie. Yeah, I, thank you. <laughs> I will have many examples to cite throughout, but it that really is what this is about, is the contrast, in addition also to the themes of isolation. So Peg knows someone is home because she saw someone move in the window. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> <laughs> and she knocks on that big front door and decides to just let herself in. Wrong decision. <laughs> There's a laboratory in the ground floor of this mansion. Cobwebs on everything. Everything. And like there's a shadow lurking in the background of every shot and she follows this person who is fleeing from her up the stairs i'm so sorry to barge in like this Ooh, this is a big place thank god for those aerobics classes and she comes out into this big attic area right mm-hmm. that gigantic hole that has obviously been stabbed out of the ceiling yeah don't you notice that stabbed don't you notice all the stab holes next to the gaping hole? Oh, I guess I didn't notice. He tore that hole out of that ceiling. What, to get some sunlight? I guess. Okay. He's very pale. I know. <laughs> but before we discuss he, when she notices in the fireplace up there, that little bed. Yeah. That disgusting little bed. <laughs> with what is all over the back of the fireplace? There's like clippings from newspapers from books from the outside world yeah yeah oh man and she notices in the corner there's a little man just crouched in the corner that's not not scary like it's not why are you hiding back there You don't have to hide from me. I'm Peg Boggs. I'm your local Avon representative, and I'm as harmless as cherry Oh, my. I can see that I've disturbed you. How stupid of me. I I'll just be going now. Don't go. And that's when we get our first real good look at him, right? Yeah. Because he wanders into the light. And he's wearing this very mechanical-looking black metal-type thing. It's like leather with studs and rings. I say wearing it because we're not even sure that that's even his actual... Like, it's obviously his body, but like... It might be his skin! It might... Well, it might not be natural. It might just be the mechanical parts of him, like... Yeah. His face is covered with scars. His hair is a mess. And yes, he has scissor blades instead of fingers. What happened to you? I'm not finished. Oh! Put those down. Don't come any closer. Just please... Those are your hands. Those are your hands. This has always confused me. Why give him scissor hands? This makes no sense. Well, th they explain it more later on. But, like, why not just wait until the hands are completed? There were also other stages of development where he just didn't have body parts and was left to sit on a table. Like, why go to all the trouble to give him this incredibly complicated, engineered finger and hand system? Well, remember, it's taken from a different apparatus. I guess, but... And remember, we almost got around to the hands. Yeah. We almost got there. Okay. But not quite. His, quote, father, the inventor, as you called him, okay. was very, very old and just didn't wake up. Oh, when he says that. It's just, it breaks my heart. 
Where are your parents? Um, your mother? Your father? He didn't wake up. And it's just Peg's silent understanding. She doesn't think to ask about a body. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> the, I, I have questions about that. But it's the way Peg's just like, I think you better just come home with me. And like when you take a dog for a ride in the car, <laughs> Edward is ecstatic to be leaving the mountain. He's never left the grounds of this property. And the shot of him in the passenger seat of her car grinning is so darling I can't stand it and this is the thing about Edward absolutely no exposure to the life that Peg leads yeah the the basis of what he understands about the outside world is what the inventor was able to give him through books and mentorship take a puppy out of its pound and bring it home with you <laughs> it's very curious it doesn't know about its surroundings it's all new to edward and people can see him in the car with her and like these nosy biddies witnessing this and running inside their homes so they can all call each other about it I hate these people <laughs> <laughs> when they're all playing telephone about the stranger <laughs> they saw peg coming home with yeah, it's Marge. Listen, I was standing outside and I was talking to Carol and Peg drove by and she had somebody with her in the car. Did you get a good look at him? No, I didn't get a good look at him. Did she say anything to you about having a guest or something? She didn't say anything to me at all. She rang my doorbell at the crack of dawn this morning. No. Okay, I'll meet you on the corner. Right. Bye. Hi, Tinka. Hi, Margie. <laughs> story. Morning Glory. Who's that guy? <laughs> oh, Peg, why? <laughs> So Peg brings Edward into the house, and he again, he's got that little grin on his face. He's just so happy to be somewhere else for a change. And extremely curious. Oh, yeah. Peg is showing him around the home. She brings him over to the shelf where all the pictures of her family are sitting. We have husband Bill, which believe me, I've got notes about Bill. Yeah. And then we've got young son Kevin. He's probably in middle school. And then she also has an 18-year-old daughter named Kim. She's a senior now, if you can believe it. She's camping in the mountains with some friends, but she'll be back in a few days and you can meet her then. He sees Kim's picture. He's in love with her already. Very pretty. Oh my god. And I can remember watching this movie with you as a boy and being like, why is he immediately obsessed with her? And you were like, Ross, it's Winona Ryder. <laughs> she's very pretty. She Don't you think she's very pretty? And I was like, well, yeah, but I'm gonna like admit that, you know, like But the th like Peg was the first human female he'd probably ever seen in real life. Well, he she's his new mommy, so it's like... And then we have Kim. Yeah. Woohoo. He's never seen anything as beautiful as Kim. And the scene where Peg has given him a set of her husband's old clothes and sends him into Kim's bedroom... When she's getting into the closet and he is just staring <laughs> at the smoke detector. <laughs> Wondering what He's it like, does. what the fuck is that? <laughs> Sorry, continue. Yo, she sends him into Kim's bedroom... To change? I don't know how she thinks he's going to be able to do that. The amount of things Edward is made to do without <laughs> any help. I know. He, he doesn't have hands, you stupid people. 
But he does it almost successfully entirely himself. But he's just puttering around her bedroom and like she has a mirror, like a vanity, and he's looking into it. Do you think he's ever seen his own reflection before? Uh, Probably not. And I'm surprised with how well he takes it. Yeah. Yeah. Because everything around him is so new and pretty and curious to him. And he's not necessarily meshing with that aesthetic. You know, his hair's wild and... He's his body is strange and he does he there's he obviously doesn't process things the way organic humans do. Of course not. He's a creation. Yeah. That man created him in that castle. Very irresponsibly. Like but we'll get back to that. All Edward is is a brain and a head and a heart. uh, I'm sorry. I would like to know who Edward Scissorhands is. Like the brain? Like whose brain did like he have? Like the head. Oh. <laughs> whose head did he steal? I'm sorry. If the inventor created him face and all like that, that's art. Yeah. But also, did the inventor decapitate a man uh, and you, use his head? We, like, we don't have time to speculate I'm on this. sorry. I'm sorry. The dinner scene is awkward as hell with the family because... You know, Edward's trying to use silverware. It's so uncomfortable (laughs) because Peg is like telling Kevin not to stare at Edward. (laughs) And Bill is asking insufferable questions. Trying to make casual conversation. With a man who's never been to society before. Well, this must must be quite a change for you, right, Ed? Edward, dear, I think he prefers Edward. Oh, sure. So what have you been doing with yourself up there in that big old place? I bet the... I bet the view must be spectacular, huh, Ed? Edward. And poor Edward is just trying to pick up silverware (laughs) and use it, but he can't because his hands are scissors. (laughs) Yes, we get the concept. (laughs) Here's my thing. Does he even need to eat? That's the thing. No one's been around to make him food. He's, that's the thing. He's. I started to say this earlier but didn't finish. He is a brain and a head and a heart. Yeah, but, like, does he have a digestive system? But also, does he need a heart? Yeah! Does he have a heart? Because the rest of him is pretty mechanical. He does have a heart. He does. I know he does. I know he does. He does eat, though. And that brings me to my next question. How does he use the bathroom? He must have a place to expel things from. I... You know, we see a diagram of him later on in the film. We do, we do. I should have stopped We should have paused, Yeah. Meanwhile, while they're trying to have family dinner, literally every woman in the division (laughs) is standing in front of their house. Yeah. Talking about the new mystery man who could possibly be inside. (laughs) And then all their husbands come home at once and they all run off because they haven't made dinner yet. Oh, no. That's the thing. All the husbands coming home at the same time. And the way the next morning they all leave for work at the same time gives me the ick. Oh, no, it's very nuclear America. like Very Stepford-wise. It is very Stepford-ish, yes. This is what I'm saying about the contrast of beauty versus spooky. Because, yes, this is a beautiful neighborhood with perfect lawns and nice houses and, and, quote, happy, regular people. But watching them all leave in perfect synchronicity creeps me the hell out. You're right about the contrast, how their world works versus how he works, you know? But he's the spooky one. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, and then you have Peg 
trying to use the Avon products to cover up Edward's scars because he's so pale, right? When she's got him pinned up (laughs) in the basement trying to fix his complexion. The light concealing cream goes on first. Then you blend and blend and blend. Blending is the secret. Mm-hmm. More concealing cream? Your complexion is so fair. Now, this has a touch of lavender in it. Give it a try here. Close enough. She's actually resorting to putting on this lavender foundation to help cover everything up, but she's just made him purple. It's the way he's smiling because he (laughs) trusts her judgment. She's trying to fix him with, quote, beauty products, but in reality, she's just kind of making it worse. She can't get the consistency on, on her concealer. What does she say? Blending is the secret. That is an important thing she's teaching, Edward, isn't it? Blending in. You have to blend into the society I brought you into, really, without your permission. She so did not think this through. She didn't. I feel like it's the weekend now. (laughs) It's a strange note, but I like it. (laughs) And Bill is standing in the backyard pretending to trim the bushes as a cover to listen to a baseball game on the radio. You know Peg said, get out there and do that today. (laughs) And now he's dicking around. And Edward comes outside and sees him trimming the bushes. And he's like, oh, my literal favorite activity. I'll imitate, you know. like. <laughs> and then he shapes the other bush into a dinosaur. I love the. I love that while he's doing that, the ramp up of the ball game on the radio <laughs> along with it. It's gone. It's out of here. It's history. Yeah. Look! I'll be darned. He made a literal dinosaur out of one of their bushes! (laughs) And then he shapes the bush that Bill was pretending to trim into a little tableau of their family! Yeah, isn't that nice? It's very dear! Edward, you made us! (laughs) Look, Bill, it's us! She loves him. I know. She she is in She earnestly loves him. It's precious. And cares about what happens to him. And I feel it's not a new sensation for Edward, but it's a sensation he's been starved for. Oh yeah. For probably quite some time. And the way these neighbor women are finally using this opportunity to pounce on Peg socially. I I can't. Can I just make note of Peg's apple dress? I love that dress. (laughs) It is a good dress. Continue. Yeah, they all show up at the front door and socially engineer a barbecue out of the clear blue nothing. And not next week, not not two weeks from now, that night. (laughs) Just so they can all gawk at the mysterious house guest. What time does the barbecue begin? Barbecue? Well, you intend to show your guest hospitality by introducing him to your friends, don't you? I'll bring coleslaw. Oh, I'll bring coleslaw. Yes. Yes. And I will bring the ambrosia salad. Oh. <laughs> what time was it that you said? Uh, what time? Uh, Bill? About five. Oh, yes. right for Bill? Five. He has been sent first to tempt you, but it's not too late. Not everybody is fascinated, though. Because there's that one super religious neighbor, Esmeralda. Uh, yeah. Who just thinks that Edward is the spawn of Satan. She she literally comes in their backyard. (laughs) What does she say about sheep? (laughs) 
when he goes, we're not sheep, like chasing her away. <laughs> oh, God. So this barbecue comes together very quickly. And I suppose it's going okay, other than the fact that Edward is being treated like a circus attraction. And they're all making stupid comments about his scissor hands, and wouldn't you? I, you know, no, like, I, I, I mean, if this were actually happening to us in real life, yeah, we'd be mesmerized, but we sure as hell wouldn't be saying the things these people are saying to him, these ignorant people. Different. Oh, completely different. No kidding. He's so mysterious. If you imagine those hands are hot or cold. And just think what a single snip could do. Or undo. <laughs> the amount of times, drink every time you hear I have a doctor friend who I think could help you in this in this movie. Yeah, like, for fuck's sake. And it's just the fact that Edward doesn't understand that they're kind of making fun of him. Yeah. And is just kind of laughing along. Edward's I, very childlike, yeah. you know? He's he do, he's do, he, he's not going to go through any stages of development, really, you yeah. know? He just has to take in what is told to him and shown to him. And then there's Joyce, who is just enraptured by Edward for some reason. I don't know what her deal is, but she's instantly attracted to him. I think what's going on here is that she looks at Edward as an easy mark. Yeah, and this is why she's got predator energy. Like, the, I... The way she is feeding him the ambrosia salad. I have noticed you haven't tasted my ambrosia salad. Oh, I don't want your ambrosia salad, Joyce. And you know what? She doesn't want her husband eating her ambrosia salad either. I forget she has a husband. Yeah, George. <laughs> Sorry, George. Yeah, like... Sorry for the everything about that. I'm sure George is equally insufferable, so it's fine. <laughs> Edward's doing a nice job of handling all these women who just want his attention, but it's also triggering him for flashbacks of the inventor reading to him from a book of etiquette, like how to socialize, yeah, teaching him manners and how to behave. And the thing is about this scene for me is that Edward is half finished. He's animated, but he doesn't have any legs. Yeah, he's a torso and some arms and a head on a table. And he's just beginning to master facial expressions. That's right. Go ahead, smile, it's funny. <laughs> That's right. Why did this man bring him to life before finishing him? Whose head is this? <laughs> what did you do, Mr. Inventor? <laughs> Which, I mean, I have a small head cannon about that. That's funny. What? Head cannon. Okay. <laughs> all I'm saying Whose is. Whose head did he steal? <laughs> Who did he decapitate to put on this machine? <laughs> All I'm saying is, what if Edward is modeled after a man he loved and or cared about? Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> hey! Are you injecting queer subtext into Edward Scissorhands? I am injecting it. And not between any of the normal characters. <laughs> but with Vincent Price. Okay. 
I get it. I'll back off. I'll back off. <laughs> and of that. it's kind of weird to put your long, your old lover's head. You uh, understand how that doesn't make sense, right? He would have to be loving that man at the time, and he's so old, and Johnny Depp is not. Hey, it's not impossible. That's who he looks like, Johnny Depp. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Moving on. You're so head cannon. That's so funny. That night, Kim and her friends return from camping early after everyone has already gone to bed, and we get our first look at her meathead boyfriend, Jim. Oh, my God. I'm going to say one thing nice about these hoodlums. Okay. That van is sick. Yeah, his buddy, Davey, something or other, he's got a panel van that's painted black with flames on it. Danny? Danny, maybe. I don't know. I didn't pay attention. Desi? I do <laughs> It's not Desi. It's 1967 to 85, so. <laughs> My parents have the alarm set. I'm screwed. I'll just sleep in the yard again. I told you to call them and tell them that we're coming back early. That's right, but did you? No, Pete. Rather complain. How am I supposed to be the center of attention, huh? You didn't call your parents. Yeah, well, they don't run their house like a police state. Bye, you guys. Thanks for driving. Okay, see you Bye. Later. Bye. 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 <laughs> don't forget your arms. Oh, yeah. Jim's two biggest aspirations in life are having sex with Kim and buying his own panel van so he can put a mattress in the back and have sex with Kim more often. Yeah, he loves to have sex with Kim. Yeah, and beer. And I feel like that's the end of his aspirations. And money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Kim comes in the house and finds Edward in her bed. When she walks in the room (laughs) and doesn't immediately notice him... Also, the waterbed. We missed that gag earlier. Yeah, when he no. accidentally poked a hole in the waterbed. <laughs> and he's when he's laying there, and she comes in the room, and he's so terrified. Yeah. He's like, "Um, I'm in here. What are you? Don't close the door." <laughs> and then she turns, and then she sees him in the mirror. And when she she loses her shit, right? Because there's a man with knives in her bed. <laughs> And she runs out of the room screaming, and he freaks out and pokes all those holes in the waterbed, and the waterbed just starts spewing water, and she's losing her mind in the hallway, saying there's a man with an axe in her bedroom. It's chaos down here. And I just love when Kevin walks out of the bedroom sleepily, and Bill leads him back into his room, and then when Edward is shuffling out of the bedroom because he's going to leave the house, he's like, I'm not wanted here anymore. And Bill's like, no, 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 and turns him around and takes him in the bathroom and Peg's like consoling Kim. That's Edward. He lives here. And she's like, what are you talking about? I bet Kim felt so crazy. So I guess they're going to keep Edward in the basement for the remainder of the film. And like Bill takes him down there, sets up the pullout couch and like, Bill, again, Bill's trying to fix things. That's what he thinks. Whatever. He pours Edward, like, three fingers of whiskey, and then Edward, trying to pick up the cup, he can't pick up the cup. And so Bill just gives him a straw, and he downs these three fingers of whiskey, and then Peg tries to smooth everything over by properly introducing them. But he's already drunk. He's never really had alcohol before. And like he's making weird noises and his eyes are real red and bloodshot. Edward, this is our daughter, Kim. Kim, this is Edward who's going to live with us. Hi. 
series of scenes where we see Edward being ingratiated into the community more. The community starts to look a little different, doesn't it, Carrie? <laughs> it does. Because what's he doing? He's doing hedge work for everybody now. Yeah, no. He they is... saw his work at the barbecue, and now they want him to come over and do their topiary work. <laughs> Carrie, my fa- what's your favorite one? The fa- what? Um, what's my favorite topiary? Yeah, in in the little community. Oh God, there's so many good ones. My, I think my favorite's actually from the end. So I think I'll reserve my choice. But why don't you tell me what yours is? Mine is the one of the man leaning over and resting his outstretched <laughs> arm on the roof. Yeah, <laughs> that's wild. That's so creative. Like, <laughs> and then guys. He's cutting someone's hedges one day and looks over and sees their very floofy, ungroomed dog. And he's like, hey, I could do this too. And starts trimming the dog's hair. He turns that sheepdog into a poodle. Alexis! Oh my God, you look so beautiful. (laughs) And so now everybody in the neighborhood wants him to groom their dogs and make them look super neat. There's a line around the block. Of women with their dogs. (laughs) He has got Joyce's dog, that rat looking dog. It's like a Shih Tzu or something. Shit something. (laughs) Hey! And I know the dog didn't do anything, but like, and so he does his thing. It looks ugly as fuck, but that's Joyce. (laughs) Yeah. You know? And she's marveling at what a, air quote, good job he's done on her dog. Have you ever cut a woman's hair? Would you cut mine? Guys, this sequence is uncomfy. She She puts out a lawn chair. And she sits down, and Edward starts cutting her hair. And the way she is in ecstasy... She's moaning. And her toes are curling. I just, I... And then all the other shots of all the women in ecstasy, getting their hair sheared ridiculously. Oh no, he's giving them these Dr. Seuss looking haircuts. He's being topiary creative with these women's hair. (laughs) I'm sorry. The hairstyles that begin to endure through the whole thing. Carrie? (laughs) Carrie. Yeah? Tinkas? With the little with the little Whoville thing going on up top? And Marge's is wild. How about the bitch with the bale of straw <laughs> prism thing going on? Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. do you know what I'm saying? I do because she, I can pick her out in every crowd she's shot. She's wearing the red nightgown at the end. Like, <laughs> he made her head look like a bale's hay. Like, I... <laughs> Oh, I can't breathe. And I, just, I love that the last one he, he does is for Peg. Peg is the one he alters the least because she's already perfect, right? Mm, <laughs> oh. He loves her. And Edward is starting to gain some local notoriety for his uh, efforts through the community. Mm-hmm. He's on a talk show. <laughs> this fucking, yeah. <laughs> 
like... this stylized talk show. And, you know, he's got examples of his work. They've got a dog there with them. They've got an example of his topiary work. And this host, who was just a mouthful of teeth with a microphone, yeah, yeah. is asking, is getting the audience to ask him questions about, like, you know, have you ever thought about opening your own beauty salon? Whether or not he wants to have corrective surgery? I have a doctor friend who could help you. <laughs> yep. And Edward's like, I'd like to meet him, you know? like. And then there's that one girl who... <laughs> is very shyly like do you have a girlfriend yeah yeah and at home jim kevin and kim are watching them on tv jim is constantly teasing kim that she is his little girlfriend because he's always staring at her she's pretty she is pretty sorry he's obviously into her how about it is there some special lady in your life and he's just looking into the camera. Guys, it's like he knows she's watching. <laughs> and he is staring into the camera. And Kim feels it. She feels that intense eye contact. But then he grabs for that mic. And it does not go well. He gets shocked and knocked backwards out of his chair. <laughs> uh, everything's all right. Uh, we'll take a break and we'll be right back after these messages. <laughs> Why are you laughing? He got hurt. Well, he's a little shocked. What do you care? A little shock. I wish we'd been taking that. I'd give my left nut to see that again. Jim is just such a putz. Like, I, why is she with him? What is in it for her? This is also like a 180 from The Breakfast Club. Yeah. This is not your average Brian Johnson going on right here. <laughs> Dude, I tell you the years it took me to put together that that was him. I know. You know? Like, uh, yeah. He's like, got, he, he got buffer. Like... <laughs> He's a different looking person. Between 1985 and 1967 to 85, he got buffer. <laughs> okay. We got to talk about this. Do scene. we really have to? Okay. Well, we, you know what? Fine. Let me. Okay. Will you let me? Okay. So the idea of the beauty salon is getting more and more traction, right? Yeah, Joyce wants to open it and have Edward be hairstylist du jour. Exactly. And you know, you know. Joyce is showing Edward a salon space at the Southgate Shopping Center, and she takes him in there, and she's showing him around, and he's very interested in everything, right? But he's like, this could be fun. This could be fun, and she really wants to show him something in the back room. <sighs> they go in the back room. She she literally pushes him into that chair. Yeah. It looks like a dentist chair. It does. I think it's for pedicures and stuff like that. I don't know. But, like, she pushes him in that chair. Now you just sit right down there. I have some smocks. Would you like me to model them for you? Yes. Ever doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know. He, he, he knows hardly anything about this. And so... <laughs> She pulls out that yellow smock, and she goes, it's just my favorite color. And she's like, it's for catching all those trimmings that fall down around your neck. And she's, like, touching him around the neck. And his eyes are so wide. He's like, "What? what's going on? 
And then she goes over to the counter and turns on the music. I love the song choice. This is my favorite. It's so wrong. Uh, it is wrong. It's completely wrong. She gets up on the chair and straddles Edward. And she's unzip. She uses one of his scissors to unhook the hook, keeping her collar together. And the way she's unzipping her shitty green suit. She's got like a black lace teddy on underneath it. Yeah, and she's like, I've waited for this moment for so long. Guys, this is assault. Nice panty line, by the way, Joyce. <laughs> oh my God. And like, she's about to go in and like kiss him. And then she makes the whole chair fall backward. <laughs> Edward! Edward, you come back here. You can't do that. I love the shot of him hurriedly leaving the shop. <laughs> He's like, nope, 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 nope. I was not okay with any of that. And I hate her. Edward! Edward, come back here. You can't do that. You know what, Joyce? Go straight to hell. No, it's like, it's. it was like, I'm sorry. I know he's not, but it's like predating on a child. It is. Like, it, it, it really is. It, I just, that I, was so foul. I used to fast forward through that part of the movie. Yeah. It made me so uncomfortable it's as a kid. It's supposed to. Like, I, ugh. Fuck her. And, and when he goes across the street to the diner where the Boggs are having dinner and sits down and Peg hands him a menu. Mrs. Monroe showed me where the salon's going to be. You could have a cosmetics counter. Oh, wouldn't that be great? Great. And then she showed me the back room where she took all of her clothes off. Edward, I can't tell you how thrilled I am. I'm just as pleased as punch. And Kim, Kevin, and Peg are like, what? And Bill's obviously not listening. Bill is not present. <laughs> I, oh my God. Bill's like, oh, this could be really good for you, Edward. I guess your next uh, battle's going to be with the bank. And you know that doesn't go well. <laughs> Edward's like, the bank? <laughs> Cut to bank. <laughs> it just says bank. That very generic <laughs> back rooms looking building that just says bank. They're not going to give him a loan because he's not a person. <laughs> the banker's like, let's see, no credit, no jobs previously held, no social security number. You basically shouldn't even exist. There's no collateral here. Yeah. Okay, so this scheme that Jim is formulating to get money together to afford this panel van so he and Kim can bone in the back. That's literally all he wants it for is to drink, drive, and have sex with his girlfriend in it. And, like, he knows, he knows by now that Edward, among his many talents, Edward can pick locks. He can open, he can open locked doors right up. And he wants Edward to break into his dad's, uh, study, den, man cave, whatever, and steal some money or steal some items so they can be sold so he can get money for this crappy, crappy van. Because his father won't give him one because he knows what he's going to use it for. <laughs> yup. If I was Jim's dad, no, I'm not buying you a van so you can drink and drive, probably kill someone, and impregnate Kim Boggs. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, no. Like, his dad, whom we never see, is painted as a not good guy, but frankly, that seems like some good judgment to me. I'm starting to believe that he's completely in the right here. (laughs) So they rope Edward into this scheme. They they all get dressed up in literal burglar costumes. Walking up to his own house, which we are led to believe Edward does not know that it is Jim's house. Yeah, they lie to him and say a thief lives here who stole from Jim and we need to get our stuff back. This person stole from you? Shh, keep your voice down. I told you he stole it, right? Now come on, let's go. Tell his parents and they'll make him give it back. Listen, I already tried that. The guy's parents are like he is, okay? Now you told Kim you'd do this. Well, come on, let's go. Come on. Come on. This person stole from you? (laughs) Why not just tell his parents and they'll make him give it back? (laughs) Like a child, right? Like, they he picks the lock, they get in the house. I love Jim putting his own picture down on its face (laughs) so Edward doesn't see it. Edward gets in to that secure room. It's got one of those 70s conversation pits in it. I know, where you, like, make fondue and talk about the war. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, oh my god. You know, yeah. Edward is the first one in. No one else slips in before that door immediately shuts behind him and deadbolts itself. And then the alarm starts going. When the lights go completely on and then that, like, door on the window into it which why is there a window into the room (laughs) it like slammed shut the look on edward's face (laughs) looking down at that locked doorknob and then kim's like trying to get into the room to edward and jim's like we gotta go he obviously put a backstop in that we gotta go now (laughs) and she's like no we can't leave him and jim has to literally pick her up and put him on his shoulder and carry her back out to the van yeah like it's bad and the <laughs> cops roll up, and I Which, don't... by the way, this is, right, this is white America for you. The cops will show up if your money's in danger. Uh-huh. And they're there immediately, Carrie. <laughs> immediately. With an E. I like, know. <laughs> like, immediately. Immediately. And how this did not end in tragedy... I was about to say I'll never understand, but I do understand. Law enforcement, not the company, law enforcement disables the alarm and has Edward Edward walk out with his hands up. Well, what are his hands, Carrie? They're knives. And potentially weapons. (laughs) They're telling him to put his hands down and he can't do it. Like we got a psycho. We know him. Edward gets taken downtown. I don't know. <laughs> and yeah. he's in he's in the joint and Peg and Bill have to come get him out. And Peg comes to him like a child in the principal's office. Yeah. And is like, oh, Edward, why would you do this? Oh, this is my fault. I should have set a better example because I was talking about all that money and needing it for the salon. I didn't mean steal it. Yeah. Oh, Edward, why ever would you do this? And he just he just bows his head in shame. He's not telling on the other kids because he doesn't want Kim to get in trouble. And, like, it just, it all makes me so 
angry. This little baby did nothing. I know. And, like, they end up releasing him, the cops do, because this psychologist tells them that the years of isolation have given him a inability to judge right from wrong. That's inability with an E. Yeah, inability. Yeah. <laughs> e and- for Edward. <laughs> He's going to be the victim of so much schluck from here to the end of the movie. Yeah, and like the whole neighborhood is turning on the boxes after this incident, right? The way those little chickens are gathered on the corner, you know, clucking back and forth about how I always knew there wasn't something quite right about him. And like Joyce spreading to the rest of those housewives that Edward was actually the one who accosted her in the salon and making that lie up don't just rot in hell Joyce flail in purgatory what I wrote was you know what y'all sit on it and rotate exactly absolutely sit on it and rotate all of those hens are sitting and rotating in purgatory (laughs) just flailing so Kim is obviously feeling guilty because Edward is taking all this heat for helping her when she comes in the house and he's standing there Mm -hmm. and she's like you're here And she goes right up to him and she's like, are you okay? Were you scared? Thank you for not telling them that we... You're welcome. It must have been awful when they told you whose house it was. I know it was Jim's house. You did? Yes. Well, then why'd you do it? Because you asked me to. Oh, that's so much. Oh, the look on her face. I, uh, uh, you want to talk about grade A dog shit feeling right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And then who rolls up? It's fucking Jim. Jimothy. Jimothy. She is so over him at this point. He's been acting wrong this whole time. Yeah. But for some reason, this is the first time it's bothering her to the point where she's like, get out of my face. I don't want to see you anymore. Yeah. And, you know, Edward is just upset that she's even giving him a modicum of attention at this point. So he carves up the bathroom. Yeah, he has a tantrum. And most of the hallway. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Then this inane dinner conversation where Bill is trying to hold him accountable for destroying their property with that stupid old ethics scenario of you find a wallet on the street. What do you do with it? (laughs) Do you turn it into the police? Do you share it with your friends and family or do you keep it? You know, like, and I'm sorry, I'll share it with my friends and family. Yeah, like. The whole idea of finding uh, finding lost money and giving it to the police. I'm sorry. I don't need the state to have more money. (laughs) Give it to my loved ones. Oh, Edward, it does seem that that's what you should do, but it's not. You dope. Everybody knows you're supposed to give it to the police. Good thinking, Kevin. Well, think about it, you guys. I mean, that's the nicer thing to do. That's what I would do. We're not trying to confuse him more. We're trying to make things a little bit easier for him. So let's cut the comedy for a little while, all right? And Kim is just sitting there... And listening to her dad grill him for this, and I am like, tell them the truth! Yeah, no, Kim, you could have said something. Like, quit watching him get reamed for something you and your boyfriend orchestrated. Well, this was really Jim's plan. She didn't really want to do it in the first place, but she could tell the truth now, and she's not. Mm -hmm. I'm disappointed. 
I'm not mad. I'm just, just disappointed. disappointed. No, you know what? I'm mad and disappointed. Good. Once again, Bill's trying to fix him with this rhetoric, with what he believes to be correct, to bring order to the spooky chaos that is Edward. And Edward saying, I'd give it to my friends and family. Yeah, like... That's beautiful. It is. It is. the beautiful and the spooky. And then Bill just continuing to try and correct him for that. Uh I hate everything. I'm so glad this is almost over. All right. That's right. They do actually say it's Christmas time. Yeah, no. Hey, it's a Christmas movie. (laughs) Officially. For the last half hour. Oh, no. I wrote, with 29 minutes left in the film, (laughs) we have finally arrived at the Christmas part. That's great. (laughs) You think it here, it comes out there. Peg and Bill are going to have their annual Christmas party, even well, though... Well, of course we're going to have it this year. Why wouldn't we have it this year? You know why, Peg? Because you're social pariahs at the moment. I am. I can't believe we're just getting to the snow part. Yeah, we're rolling out fake snow on the roof, or at least Bill is. <laughs> so everything looks a little more Christmassy. With the big happy holiday letters on the roof. <laughs> and Kim and Peg are decorating the tree, and this is where Kim thinks she sees snow falling outside but it's not snow edward is standing on a ladder shaping an angel a a two-story tall angel out of what i'm sure was a gigantic block of ice This is a gorgeous sequence. Where the fuck did he get that much ice? (laughs) First of all, Danny Elfman. Yeah. The music. And then second of all, that dress. The white dress Kim has on? I want that dress. (laughs) You look fabulous in it. Not to wear. (laughs) I just want it hung up in my home. Just so you can look at look, it? That's so creepy, but like... <laughs> and yet weirdly pure somehow. I love that dress. She is just overwhelmed in the best possible way. She's dancing around in the snow. Holding her hand out, letting it fall on her face and on her skin. It's magical. Yeah, like they don't have snow in Florida. Like she's never seen anything like this before. Guys, he's not even aware that she's standing there. Not at first. He's an art. He's being an artiste. And he's very hyper-focused. You have to watch the marble. You have to date the marble. You have to be the marble. <laughs> he is coming down off the ladder, and he accidentally nicks her palm with one of his fingy blades. That's the thing. Edward is constantly just accidentally injuring people. Not not injuring them, just giving them little nicks because of his scissor hands. Like, And Jim is just waiting there to catch him doing something bad so he can point it out. Now you've done it. Scratch him, really. It's okay. Stay back. No, okay, you touch your gun, I'll kill you. No, it's no big deal. It's just Call a doctor. You skewered kid. No, this is Stay away from her, okay? I mean it. You can't touch anything without destroying it. Who the hell do you think you are? You've been hanging around here anyway, huh? Jim tells him to leave and not come back. And, like, Edward's exiting the yard, 
and we go on another little tantrum. The way he's crossing through front yards, slashing the topiary hedges, stabbing tires. This is where I wanted to reserve my favorite topiary. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because he is outside Esmeralda's house, the super religious woman. Yeah, while she's playing her nightly organ tunes. (laughs) Isopod organ. Yeah. And he... (laughs) Would you like to join my band? Isopod Isopod organ. He trims the hedges out in front of her house to look like the devil. (laughs) I love this. No notes. Fuck Esmeralda. So Kim breaks up with Jim for being horrible in general, which that was a long time coming. And it's just chaos because, you know, Peg and Bill are like, where is Edward? I don't know. He ran away. Helen called the police. And like Edward realizes the police are looking for him. The way he is always quickly getting away from situations, like fast walking, but not running. Exactly. Yeah. Can't run with scissors. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably something the inventor taught him. To not run with scissors? To not run around. (laughs) You could really hurt hurt your head that I stole off of some other person (laughs) to give you humanistic features. Like, but not hands? (laughs) Sorry. I'll never stop being mad about (laughs) it. It's okay. okay. (laughs) Why didn't you give him hands first? Anyway, he goes back to the Boggs' house. Peg and Bill are out looking for him and Kim is there alone. And I really don't know what's going on in her head at this point, because she's so relieved that he is back. She's like, Casper, can I keep you? Yes. Like, I really want I really want you to stay here. And this this pair of lines is so much. Um, This is where the crying happened for me. Hold me. I can't. Oh. He he really, he doesn't feel like he can. Yeah. He just feels, first of all, all Edward feels because of how he's made and because of how he's been treated is that he's just going to hurt people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that he's just going to cause problems for the very nice people in his life. Yeah. Namely, Kim and Peg. Yeah. You know? And, like, he goes over the window. He's looking out the window. He's so sad. And Kim goes over and just drapes his arms around her shoulders. And he's holding her. And I actually did cry at this point, even though I wasn't prepared for it. Because we're now getting the flashback of the day the inventor died. I know it's a little early for Christmas, Edward, but... uh... I have a present for you. And he produces the prosthetic hands that will finally make Edward complete. Fun fact, they are Johnny Depp's arms. What? Like molds of them? Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Isn't that interesting? What dainty little hands Johnny had in 1990. (laughs) And he's holding them up to him. And I love that, you know, it takes him a second to produce that smile. 
Yeah. But he's got legs now. Like, remember early in the earlier flashback when we saw the wind, you know, going over that book and we saw the first stage of him? Yeah. Which was the little choppy man from the assembly line. Yeah. Because remember when he took that heart-shaped cookie, the inventor, and he put it up to the little chopper guy <laughs> who was like, I'd like to have someone here with me yeah. on the mountain. I'll make a person. Yeah. So he decapitated his lover. All right. And put it on. Anyway, <laughs> he made a, he made a man out of that assembly line chopper. And then that's why it has scissor hands. Yeah, I guess that's, that's why true. he has scissor hands. I guess that's true. I just I'm still mad about. I, I get it. Uh, and and so the thing that was chopping greens on the conveyor belt. Yes, that's Edward. I know. And when we saw the wind flipping through that book, and we actually got to see the innards, he put organs in this metal thing mm-hmm. and gave him life. And the ends. Remember the end stage of Edward. In a Dressed nice up in the suit. Yeah. With his hair all done nice. <laughs> Looking like a person. Yeah. And this is the final stage of that. Exactly. But we don't know what happens within the inventor. Something happens, though. But that terrifying drop in Vincent Price's expression. It's so haunting. Edward, as the hands are being pulled away, being torn apart by his scissor hands, and the inventor falling down dead. And the most upsetting part is Edward going to check on him and petting his face, but drawing blood on his cheek. And then Edward looking at the blood dripping off of his scissor hands. And then it cuts back to him and Kim at the window with him holding her and I wrote he is holding someone he loves and he hasn't for a very long time he's getting to touch someone he loves and not hurt them yeah and that's deep (laughs) that's so fucked and all for again you know this is also a point where I first noted I can't believe Kim is telling her granddaughter about this right now (laughs) Remember that? Yeah. That's how the movie started. (laughs) Ooh. Like, I just love to think of how in the present day, (laughs) how 80-whatever-year-old Kim is explaining this to her very young granddaughter. (laughs) Oh, and so I'm glad you got a chuckle out of me because it's going to be real upsetting until the end because Jim and his dumb friend, Danny, Desi, Demi, whatever his name is, are in his panel van drinking beer and sulking about the fact that Kim doesn't want to have anything to do with him anymore. (laughs) I love that the friend's like, she's probably right. I feel like I'm going to pass out or puke or something. Later. First, take me to her house. Oh, come on, Jim. Don't make me drive. Just do it. Jesus. Maybe she was right about you. Just drive! Relax. But then Jim, a whole six-pack in, I'm sure, is like, you know what? No, we're going to drive back over there, and I'm going to give her a piece of my mind. And makes his drunk friend drive. They're both drunk. It doesn't matter who drives. But, like... Yeah, they're both idiots. 
And the thing, I had almost forgotten about Kevin because he hasn't been in the movie for a little while. Remember how Edward did let him take him to show and tell, though? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do. Anyway, yeah, Kevin's leaving a friend's house and is walking back to the Vogs when Edward notices um, that uh, Jim and company is mowing down topiary statues, <laughs> driving drunk, and he also notices that they're going to hit Kevin. Kevin. And he tackles Kevin out from in front of the panel van. And deus ace neighborhood. Yeah. Everyone is immediately on the scene to see Edward accidentally cutting up Kevin in the face trying to make sure he's okay. It's a scratch. It's fine, but it doesn't matter it's a bunch of scratches just saying but like but now a mob is forming it's making it worse yeah this is literally the end of frankenstein or the end of beauty and the beast yeah exactly kill the beast like this quote beautiful place is suddenly not behaving so beautiful we're getting evil it doesn't matter what edward does yeah they're gonna think badly of him run my god. Because the cop is coming now, right? Yeah. And Officer uh, Allen or whatever his name is. Yeah, this is the cop that was kind of nice to him at the station. Oh yeah, earlier when he was like, I'm gonna be out of my mind worrying about you. You stay out of trouble. And I'm like, aw, thank you, nice law enforcement man. And now he's barely giving chase to Edward. (laughs) He's in the car, like at 15 miles an hour, following Edward down the street. Can I ask you something about the placement? What? About the placement of this mountain versus the rest of the neighborhood. Uh-huh. Where are they when he tackles Kevin? In front of the Boggs' house, right? Yeah. How far does Edward have to go to run back up the mountain? Less than a hundred yards. Around the corner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. What the fuck, Peg? <laughs> Never noticed that place No before? one's ever talked about the mountain before? <laughs> So the cop watches Edward flee into the mansion and, like, barely goes inside the gate. He, like, he, like, fake shoots in the air to make people think he did something, like. Right? But then he just, he goes out to the mob and he's like, all right, nothing to see here. I'm sorry, this cop did the right thing. I know he did the right thing, but the wrong thing he did was then immediately leaving. (laughs) Everybody go home, please. Nothing to see here. And he's just going to take them at their word that they're going to go home. When Joyce is, when everybody's gathered in front of the mountain and Joyce is like, well, I didn't see him. I'm going. And like (laughs) charges up off the mountain. This is a, I I love this movie. This movie is too good for a continuity error. (laughs) Yeah. Because who do we see magically ahead of them up the mountain? It's Kim. She was behind them just now. Kim is going onto the grounds of the mansion and finds Edward cowering in the attic where Peg first found him. Edward, I was so afraid. I thought you were dead. I didn't. Guys, Jim is here all of the sudden, and he has a gun! Where did he get a gun? I mean, who knows? Like <laughs> it was the 60s, 70s, 80s. Yeah, yeah. This is <laughs> this is 1960, 70, 85. Like and there's a struggle. 
Jim drops the gun and I don't know where it went. It's like he dropped it and it disappeared because then he goes to pick up this fireplace implement to bludgeon Edward to death with it. Black Christmas. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) And Kim picks up this humongous beam and knocks him down and literally pulls one of Edward's fingers over to his throat and goes, Stop it or I'll kill you myself. Kim! Yeah, yeah. She's serious. And, you know, Jim pushes her off of him, and he stands up. And he's going back after Kim. And Edward. Oh, Edward. I think this is a controversial but effective choice. Yes. Because Edward turns around, knowing full well that Jim is going to do her harm. The look on Edward's face is so disconcerting when he stabs Jim through the middle. And then pushes him out the attic window. Hey! I said! Stay away from her! He dead. Very dead. I mean, did he deserve to die? Uh, no. He was going to hurt Kim, though. Maybe. Like, the deadly know. force? Who knows? That's uh, the well, thing. I'm sorry. Have you ever known a man child to destroy his favorite toys? Uh, which are Kim. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, guys, Edward kills Jim. Which I guess I'm okay with. <laughs> And Kim goes to the window he's just fallen backwards out of to see his body splayed on the grass. And we can also see all the people coming, the mob coming up the, coming up into the uh, garden. And Edward is like looking into Kim's eyes. He knows he can't be a part of her world now. Yeah. Because of what he's done. Goodbye. And I'm like, this is not fair. And the look on his face, this is this made me cry again. Because it's like, don't go. Because now he really will be alone there forever. <laughs> this is why, see, this is the thing. This is why I didn't like this movie when I saw it the first time. Because this is woefully unsatisfying and an incredible injustice. I wanted to talk about this earlier, but we kind of skipped over it. That moment between, I like that moment between Kim and Peg in the house earlier. Peg is talking to Kim about, you know, honey, I didn't really think this through. And I didn't think about what could happen to him. Or to us. Or to the neighborhood. And now I think that maybe it might be best if he goes back up there. Because at least there is safe. And we'd just go back to normal. And Peg had the best of intentions. I love her for wanting to save him from that existence. But at least she understands that, yeah, I... He's not safe here. He's not safe here. I made a choice that I thought was in service of him... But I was really just trying to make myself feel better. Yeah. And it, it's caused all this hell. She had she had something to focus on. 
in yeah. Edward. Yeah. You know, something she was lacking. Yeah. And I, which, I mean, I don't get that. She has two children, but like. But like one's a boy who probably doesn't want to have a lot to do with his mother and her daughter's almost grown. And it's just that part, this part again makes me cry because it's just like, no, wait, somebody loves me. Please don't leave forever. <sighs> you know, it's like, God, I finally have something that I need and want. And it's but being, now I can't have it. It's being taken from me. Now I can't have it. And Kim, you know, goes back downstairs through the laboratory and she grabs like a prototype of the scissor hands that's mm-hmm. just like waiting down there. And she runs out onto the front stoop of the mansion and the mob is standing there. And they're like, where's he at? And she's like, he's dead. caved in on him. They killed each other. And she holds up that prototype for them to look at. See? And then they decided, we're done with this. Helen, I'm going home. Yeah! Because there's nothing left to see, right? Right. Show's over, right, people? Yeah. Mm. God, I all of them can fucking flail in purgatory. <laughs> I hate them. I hate every single one of them. I, like, and like, you know what I love, though? What? I kind of love how shocked Joyce is. <laughs> and I kind of love how bad I can tell she feels. Good. Good. She deserves that. Sit on that rotate, Joyce. And that's how the story ends. That's how, like, I I want that, I, that we cut back to Grandma Kim and her granddaughter. Uh-huh. And I want the granddaughter to look at her and go, wow, what a wildly upsetting story, Grandma. Yeah, no, she's like, she never saw him again after that. And if I'm the kid, I'm like, okay, what does this have to do with why it's snowing outside? <laughs> but no, she's like, how do you know she never saw him again? And then we get the moment. She removes the glasses. Because I was there. Which, like, we all saw that coming from a mile away. I'm sorry. It's obviously Winona Ryder. I love it when she's like, well, how do you know he's still up there? How do you know he's still alive? I don't know. Not for sure. But I believe he is. I guess the implication here is, is that Edward knew how happy Kim was in that moment, being under his snow. Uh-huh. And, like, now he does it for her every year. E- yeah. Even though it doesn't last. It's still Florida. Yeah. But he does it just to make her happy for that small moment. We see it, don't we? Yeah. We see the ice sculptures. He is making in the castle. One of them is in the shape of Kim. Dancing in the ice. (laughs) Sometimes you can still catch me dancing in it. the ice shavings from the sculptures are going out of the castle window and falling down on this town and that is why it snows 
because of Edward Scissorhands. unsatisfying when the granddaughter looks at grandma and goes well if you think he's still up there why don't you go see him and Kim goes well I would rather him remember me as I was and I wrote knock it off yeah <laughs> go show that adorable child man child some love please and you know it's kind of sad because he will never age yeah, he's just gonna be. Yeah. And one day, Kim will eventually die, and then he won't even have that in his proximity anymore. That's the thing. We need Edward Scissorhands, too. No! No! <laughs> no, we don't. That no. would never work! No. <laughs> but this time it's set in 1992,000-2015, you know, or whatever, you know? <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, guys, that movie is core. Core score. You yeah. know, like. <laughs> core for the score. That, like, that, that music really does make the magic of this whole movie. What an incredibly fucked up thing to recount to a granddaughter. But. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just imagining Grandma Kim talking to her in the present day, going, and then Jim pulled out a gun. <laughs> And then Edward stabbed Jim in the stomach and pushed him out the window, sweetie. Where is that child's mother? Yeah. Oh, Oh my my God. God. Can you imagine one of the parents opening the door in the middle of that story and going, Nana, (laughs) what are you doing? If this is Florida, why is it snowing? I kind of needed this right now. Yeah. I've had a bad two months and I've needed to like, don't, don't get me wrong. I've been crying, Mm -hmm. but I kind of been, I've had a dry spell for a while. You know, when you get so upset that you just can't weep anymore. Yes. I kind of needed this, you know, like needed a good cry. I did need a good cry because you're right. It is deeply unsatisfying. Like I said, it's my, maybe it's not Christmas horror. I'm but horrified. It's, but it's horrible at Christmas. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, I say, like, that entire last leg of the movie, that all takes place during Christmas, and deck the halls with boughs of violence. And, la, 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 la. and for all of his fuck shit, Johnny Depp still gives a fantastic performance in this role. Yeah. And, like, really captures that, that isolation and those those feelings of fear in oneself when there is barely even a self. Yeah. You know, like... Oh, man. I just... The inventor, we need to haul his ghost in for questioning. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You made some decisions, inventor. He also did not think everything through. No, he didn't. I guess the moral of the story is think things through. I... (laughs) Edward Scissorhands, or How I Learned to Think Things Through. Think things through and let it snow. (laughs) I guess. uh, Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow.
guys, we are going to end this out on a more horrific note, though. <laughs> yeah, no, it's about to get way spooky. One of the most famous Christmas horrors of all time. <laughs> guys, you know that we love The Muppets Christmas Carol. Oh, yeah. And we chose that as our iteration of The Christmas Carol story to cover the first time. So next week, guys, we are going to be doing a different version of The Christmas Carol. We're ending out kicking and streaming season four pretty well for you this year. <laughs> next week, we're talking about the 2009 adaptation of Charles Dickens's famous tale, A Christmas Carol, starring Jim Carrey. It's motion capture. It's computer animation. But it's really good. It's so good. I remember going to the theater to see that. And it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh shit, this is a ghost story. <laughs> so look out for that next week, guys. It's our last episode of 2023 and good fucking riddance. <laughs> I'm sick of this year. <laughs> oh, what a dumpster fire. In the meantime, please go follow us on Twitter at KickNStream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at KickingAndStreamingPodcast at gmail.com. Elon bought Twitter to control the narrative. <laughs> That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, please practice the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. He gave Alex Jones his Twitter account back today. That is rate, rate review, retweet. We want everyone to come and join our little watch party. <laughs> And to fucking dog pile on Alex Jones. <laughs> and please check out the Patreon, guys. You know, it's it's going to go out on a banger film this year. Absolutely. We got Return of the King coming at the end of December, and you're going to want to be there for that. And guys, if you sign up and pay that $5 and become a little onion contributor, you're going to get all of the Patreon content all at once. Want to get us a Christmas present? Join the Patreon. Pay that $5. Make every single one of Carrie Ann's tears mean something. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> this holiday season. Because more quality content is on the way to you from kicking and streaming. And until then, I'm stressed. I'm sad. And as always, sorry, sorry mom. mom.